Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Well, hey, good morning, Crosspoint. It's nice to have you all in the house this morning. Uh, as well, welcome to those many of you who are joining us online, remotely from your location. Hey, if you have a Bible handy this morning, paper or digital, uh, I want to encourage you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to be diving into that this morning. Uh, if you're just new today, let me remind you that, uh, or let me tell you that uh, we're continuing our teaching series on discipleship, and the series is called Formed, and we're exploring what it means to be formed into the image of Jesus, to become more and more like Him and being transformed by Him. So, uh, and as I mentioned in a number of weeks, that this whole series is framed around Crosspoint's five marks of a disciple, which are the, the biblical characteristics of what is a disciple. And today, we're going to be focusing on the third mark, which is community. So let me give you a quick definition. Uh, you already saw it on the video, but let me read it out for you this morning. Uh, what do we mean by community as a mark of a disciple? Well, it means to engage in deeper community with a small group that has transforming, loving, transparent relationships. See, here's the thing is the journey of discipleship as a follower of Jesus was never intended to be a solo sport. So it's not one-on-one badminton, it's not one-on-one tennis, it's a lot more like basketball and it's a lot more like football. Uh, as it turns out, we were designed for community. It's actually in our DNA. We were wired that way from the beginning. Uh, we were, as people, created in the image of God. And here's the thing about God. God within himself is community. He is the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, living together in perfect, loving, submissive community throughout eternity. And so when God created us in his image, that means, number one, that we were, um, we were created to become like God. But second of all, we were created to reflect God's image in the world. So we were made for it. We were designed for it. Uh, by the way, this morning, if you're looking for sermon notes, uh, we don't, because of COVID, we're not doing paper, but uh, you can go online uh, and go to thecrosspointchurch.ca slash notes, and you can follow along there. Plus, uh, for the kids who are in the house who uh, are joining us this morning, uh, there's also a praise pack that you will have gotten, and there's a set of blue notes in there that you can follow along. And uh, you might be in the, in the other room, uh, in our other space, but you can follow along there. As well, uh, there's a drawing uh, competition that's there for you, uh, as well as some questions you can talk about as a family. So I hope you grab that this morning as well. Okay, um, I have a really, 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 really difficult announcement that I have to make this morning. Um, and it's even harder for me to do this because I know that we are living in divisive times. I mean, things have been super polarized lately, and I, I certainly don't desire to add to that. Um, I mean, Twitter has been ablaze with truth bombs from the far right and far left. Uh, there are tensions between those who want to protect people's health, and there are people who want to protect people's livelihood. And of course, the cultural conversation that's happening today is a lot more like a cultural collision. Um, but I'm afraid this morning I need to talk about yet another polarizing issue. And I don't want to bring it up, but um, I feel that it needs to be brought into the light and be talked about today. So here it is. Shoulder pads are back in style. <laughs> I know some of you are like, what? I didn't know that they went out of style. No, it's true. 
I mean, there is absolutely no denying it. Google it. It's in fashion now. It's in vogue. They are back just like the fanny pack. Now, I know that there are some of you this morning that you're standing on either side of this issue. Some of you are like, yes, and some of you are like, no, okay? Uh, so though, for those of you who are cheering about this news, I mean, maybe you're still wearing shoulder pads, or maybe you've got droopy shoulders and you don't mind a little bit of pep in the anterior deltoids, you know what I'm saying? Uh, or maybe you're just a little bit nostalgic about the 80s, I don't know. Uh, but then there are those of you who are just cringing, right? You're not cheering, you're cringing. Because you're thinking, like, aren't shoulder pads for football players, Right? Because besides the 80s called, right, they want their fashion sense back, and what's next, right? Where does this stop? What's next? Parachute pants, right? Now, before you pick up your chairs this morning and start throwing them at each other, I just want to ask you, please, please, to treat one another with kindness, with brotherly and sisterly love. Whether you're here or whether you're at home, I don't know what's happening at home. Maybe the couch cushions are flying already. I have no idea what, what's happening with this issue. Um, this does not have to be an issue that tears us apart. This is not a hill to die on, brothers and sisters. Can I hear an amen? amen. All right. Um, after all, I mean, let me think about it. Do you really think that 20 years from now, you're going to look back and say, mm -hmm, I stood my ground, right? I made a stand for shoulder pads. I mean, I know it blew up the church. I know that there was a lot of relational collateral damage, but I was right about shoulder pads, and that is all that matters. And I'm sure one day when you're saying that and your Generation Z or Generation ABC grandchildren are all around you, they'll look up at you and say, oh, wow, Grandpa. Hashtag okay, millennial. Okay, so uh, most of us aren't really that up, amped up about shoulder pads. But, but how many of us would agree that there are other sometimes trivial issues that can threaten to divide us as the people of God? And the truth is, is that living together as a Christ-centered, unified community is no easy thing. As a matter of fact, community can be downright hard sometimes. And so the question is, is community worth fighting for? And if it is worth fighting for, then why is it so important? Well, that's the question that I'd like us to answer this morning. And to do that, we're going to be looking at a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. And, and this was a church that Paul had a good relationship with. As a matter of fact, it's a church that, that he had planted. Uh, so he was very familiar with them. And Paul had heard about a number of the issues that were affecting this church in, in Corinth. So he wrote them a letter. And he was trying to address uh, some of these issues. Um, and one of the things that you discovered is that they were a church that actually had a lot of issues, a lot of problems, because Paul didn't just write one letter. In fact, he had written three letters. We only have two letters of them, uh, of two copies of the letters in the New Testament today, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. There was actually a third letter. And the letters are long. Like, they're super long. And the reason why they're long is because Paul's like, we got a lot to talk about here, okay? So this morning, uh, we're going to be talking about one of those issues. And shoulder pads wasn't one of them, uh, but we're going to wrestle through another one of them. And the big idea we're going to discover this morning as we read through the text is simply is this. Christ's community, his people, matters to God. And how you measure, how you build that community as a follower of Jesus is a measure of your maturity. So let's get right into the text. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. Here's what it says. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. And I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready, for you're still of the flesh. 
For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, hey, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? All right, let's stop there. Uh, So Paul teaches us a couple of lessons here about discipleship this morning. Uh, First of all, he says discipleship is a process, and secondly, he says that discipleship is social. Let me talk about the first one. Discipleship is a process. Uh, Here's the thing about spiritual transformation. Most of us know this, but it, it is not instantaneous. It is not microwavable. It is not clickable. You, you cannot order it on Amazon Prime and hope that it shows up on your door a day later. Spiritual formation is a lifelong journey with Christ where you are being constantly transformed from the inside out. And, and Paul says that you're being less and less influenced by the flesh, which is your sinful nature, kind of the dark side of the moon for you, right? And you're being more and more led by the Holy Spirit to become more and more like Jesus. So, so Paul says, says that uh, spiritual growth is actually a lot like biological growth. So you start as an infant, and you begin maturing through the stages of life until you reach maturity or adulthood. The problem with the Corinthians is that they were still acting like babies, when by now, they should have been all grown up. So, so what was specifically going on in the church here? Well, if you flip back the letter to the first chapter and you, and you read, you can discover uh, that people were disagreeing ultimately about which leader that they thought that they should follow. So some would say, I prefer Paul. Some would say, I prefer Apollos. Others would say, I prefer Cephas, who is Simon Peter. Um, and we don't know all the details that, uh, of what was going on. But, but it, was like, it was like everybody had their own favorite celebrity pastor who they had chosen to follow. And uh, that celebrity pastor was in their algorithm. They heard him, saw him every single day. Maybe they had playing cards with their favorite celebrity pastor. I don't know. But these leaders had become so important to these people. These leaders had grown so large in their hearts that, that they had started to fight about it. They essentially had dropped the gloves and were circling the ice and were ready to go toe-to-toe. So I, I love how Paul responded to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 13. Uh, his sarcasm is actually, it's actually pretty brilliant. So I'll just read it. Verse 13, here's what he says. Is Christ divided? Was Paul, was, was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? So, so, I mean, he's basically saying, why in the world are you following these mere people, these mere mortals? I mean, they didn't die for you. You weren't baptized into their names. Jesus is the one you should be following here. Now, when I think about this problem, I mean, it just, it just seems so foreign to us, right? It just seems so bizarre. I mean, I cannot imagine anything like that happening today, right? That is like so AD 50. I mean, after all, we, haven't we evolved? Aren't we more sophisticated? I mean, we don't put people on pedestals. We don't follow celebrity pastors. We don't get all bent out of shape and divisive about their teachings. We are so beyond that in the modern era. You can look up sarcasm on Google a little bit later on. Well, this brings us to Paul's second lesson. Not only is discipleship a process, but discipleship is also social. Uh, see, one of, the, one of the key indicators of spiritual maturity is actually how you treat other people in the body of Christ. Uh, in other words, how you live in community is a measure of your maturity. And, and Paul links their spiritual maturity uh, to their behavior towards one another. And he gives actually a couple of dashboard indicators to, that showed this church still had a long way to go. He says uh, in verse 3, he says, For while there is still jealousy and strife among you, you are not of the flesh. Now, what's jealousy? Well, je- jealousy is that, that desire to have what somebody else has have. It's, uh, it's the, the feeling of, of being 
of, of unfairness, and you wish, and, and, and there's this burning inside. So jealousy is essentially this internal problem, right? But strife is external. And so this wasn't just a, an inner heart condition. It was also lived out in the relationships with one another. So how you live in community is a measure of your maturity. Let's keep reading. Verse 5. It says, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. So, so Paul kind of points out the problem here with putting human beings, uh, humans on pedestals. And, and the problem is, is just simply this, is that they're just workers. They're actually just servants who, getting, who are getting paid for their jobs. Now, a little bit of backstory would be helpful here. Um, Paul was, like I said earlier, was the one who planted the church in Corinth. Uh, and he didn't stick around forever. He was there for about a year, just over a year, and he spent time with them. Uh, but then he had to move on because he had a mission to accomplish, to, to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. So he, he started planting churches all throughout Asia. But the problem was the church was still in its infancy stage. There were no mature believers there. So to help deal with that problem, to fix that problem, they would bring in other teachers. And one of the other teachers who came along was a man named Apollos. And Apollos was actually an incredible thinker, an incredible mind, and an incredible communicator. So people liked Apollos. People loved his teaching, right? Uh, and so after a while, you started to have a little bit of division in the church. Uh, but Paul is saying just simply this. He says, like, we're just workers. Paul planted the church, but eventually Apollos watered it. Um, this spring, I planted a garden in my backyard. Um, and to be honest, it was a bit of a COVID garden. Um, it was a uh, just-in-case-the-zombie apocalypse happens and the world goes crazy kind of an enterprise, uh, I put it together. Uh, so uh, I, I thought, you know, if there's going to be a worldwide food shortage, I want to be prepared, right? So I made as much food in my backyard as I could, and I was willing to share. Okay, so it wasn't just for me. It wasn't just greed. Uh, and, of course, don't judge me, all right, because it's not like I dug a bunker in my backyard, at least not yet, all right? So... Um, so anyways, I, I worked hard at this garden, right? I, I infused it, the soil with fresh compost. I rototilled. I, I planted seeds. I watered it regularly, especially at the youngling age when the little sprouts were just coming up. I wanted to keep the soil nice and moist. And I would talk to my garden and say, oh, I like you, you know. Um, and, and I'd pull weeds when necessary. And, and I'll be honest, like right now, it's a formidable garden. Like it's pretty robust. I have all the food that I will ever need and more. Um, now, here's the thing. I could take all the credit for this garden, but if I did, I would be lying to myself because I'd essentially be ignoring one key factor that led to my garden's success. And that one key factor is just simply the gift of life. Life. We can explain how things grow, but we cannot explain why things grow. Life is this beautiful, biological, metaphysical mystery that is in all of creation. See, the thing is, without life, all of my efforts would be pointless, right? I could put the seeds in the ground, and I could shout at them, grow, thrive, take off. You know, I could do all of that. But if life did not exist, my garden would be going nowhere. Nothing would happen. And this is the point that Paul is making here. He says, neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, 
but only God who gives the growth. So, so Paul and Apollos, they were pretty good at the jobs, but as good as they were at their jobs, neither of them could actually take credit for it because the one thing they could not do was make the church grow. And his concern is that people were giving far too much credit to Paul and Apollos and not near enough credit to the Holy Spirit, the giver of life. Here's the thing. People can't save people. People can't change people. The only way this happens is through the Holy Spirit working through people. It's the Holy Spirit who draws people to God. It's the Holy Spirit who flips the switch in our lives, in people's hearts, so that the lights come on and they turn to God. It's the Holy Spirit who uh, convicts. It's the Holy Spirit who leads. It's the Holy Spirit who guides. And, and Paul can't do that. Apollos can't do that. Because why? Because they're just gardeners. And so Paul's asking the question, if we're just gardeners, why do we put gardeners on a pedestal? So let me tell you this morning something that I hope you already know. Pastors do not have superpowers. Pastors cannot save you. Your pastor is a lousy hero. He's as vulnerable as the next guy. He has struggles and fears. He's sometimes depressed and anxious. He wrestles with pride, sometimes with doubt, and he's bound to disappoint you from time to time. Now, this doesn't mean that pastors shouldn't be held to a high standard, but it does mean that he needs Jesus just as much as everyone else. So pray for your pastor. Keep him off a pedestal because he's just a gardener. And as it turns out, so are you. You are a gardener. Let's keep reading. Verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. And according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. All right, so now Paul switches metaphors here. He switches from gardening to, to building. And, and notice what he says here. He says, you are God's building. Now, I, I need to point something out here because it can, can get lost in translation. But that word you there in the Greek, that pronoun you, is actually plural, not singular. So what that means is it's better translated as you all. You all are God's building. Not just you as an individual is God's building, but all of you together, you all are God's building. He's talking to a community of people collectively. And what he's saying is then is that you all, the people of God, together are God's great architectural masterpiece. And this masterpiece of God is not made with bricks and mortar. This masterpiece is made with flesh and blood, embodied, incarnated people together in community. You know, I, we've said this at Crosspoint so many times in the past, and, and we will continue reminding of this. I know I will sound like a broken record, but that's okay. You can be thankful when I'm gone, or when I'm dead and gone and buried, okay? And bury the record with me. But here's what I'm going to say. The, the church is not a building. The church is not an organization or a club or a corporation. The church is not a vendor of religious goods and services. The, the church is not a content deliverer. When God created and designed the church, he had in mind a people. 
a community of Christ followers following Jesus in faithfulness together, living on mission together in the world. That is who the church is. And, and so Paul says the foundation of this church, of this building, is Jesus himself. There, there can be no other foundation, as a matter of fact. And Paul says, you know, I laid that foundation when I planted that church in Corinth. I laid that foundation beneath you. And you're, you're now building on top of that foundation. But the problem with the Corinthians is they were trying to replace the foundation. They were trying to swap out Jesus, and they were trying to bring in Paul or Apollos or Cephas, Peter. But this is a major problem because here's the thing. Is the, if the foundation of a building is the most important part of a building, and if the foundation of your house or any building is falling apart, or if it's crumbling, the entire building is at jeopardy. The entire building is at jeopardy of falling like a house of cards. And, and this is the problem when you insert fallible and broken leaders to the foundation of your faith. You put everything in jeopardy in your faith. You know, in these past years, probably in the last five years, we, we've seen many uh, famous celebrity pastors fall off of their pedestals. And, and watching this has just been, oh, you know, it's just been disheartening to some. But to others, it has completely rocked their faith. And, and, but this is a challenge. This is the ha what happens when you swap out Jesus and you make pastors or leaders into surrogate saviors in your life. Because when the bottom falls out of their lives, so goes your faith. So, yes, it's important to learn and to grow and to hear from spiritual leaders from around the globe, but we can't put them on pedestals. Um, we need to take them off the pedestals where they belong and put them on level ground. Because here's the thing. One sure way to wreck Christian community is to elevate people as more special or more honored or more important than other people. You do that, and you can do that with people groups. You can do that with genders. You can do that with leaders or whatnot. Here's the thing. The truth is, the ground is level at the foot of the cross, and we all stand at eye level together. And that's what leads to healthy community, is when we understand that. And especially, so it's especially important that we don't put leaders on pedestals. Well, Paul reminds us this. He says, listen, we're not the foundation. You're not the foundation. I'm not the foundation. But we're all fellow workers in this. Let's look at what he says in verse 10. He says, let each one take care how he builds. So what this means then is, is that each and every one of us is responsible for building the church, for building community. We all have a part to play in creating healthy, Christ-centered community. Now, I just want you to think about that for a moment. God has a part for you to play in building this building, the faith church community. God has a part for you to play. What might that look like for you? Now, it's, it's not enough that we build. Okay, we all have to be building. But how we build matters. Paul says we, we have to build carefully. Carefully. Listen, if you're building a sculpture with Play-Doh, it, it really doesn't matter how you build. You can be a little bit sloppy. I mean, if you blow it the first time, you can just like mash it, right? Start all over and, and build another Play-Doh sculpture. But if you're building with marble... You have to get it right the first time around because it's a different medium. It's a different material, and it's more precious, and it's more rare, and it's more valuable. And this is how God values his people, the church. 
says you've got to be careful how you build because these are, these are the people I died for. They're part of my spiritual family. They're my sons and, and they're my daughters. This is my precious community. And so Paul is saying here, because of that, because of the value that God places on community, he says, listen, we've got to be careful. We've got to be careful how we build. Well, let's keep reading. Verse 12. Now, if anyone, anyone, builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. All right, I have to admit that there is, there is a time in my spiritual journey where I, I really read these verses incorrectly. Um, I, didn't, I wasn't reading them in their context. I would just kind of read this section. And, and the, the reason why I read them inc- incorrectly is because I was reading them basically as an individual person, as an individualist. So I was, I, was, I was reading them as just me and my relationship with Jesus, okay? And my personal actions, my personal thoughts, my personal faith. But we've already discovered that that's not what Paul's talking about here. Paul's talking about our social faith. He's talking about the way we relate to each other in community, how we build God's community on top of the foundation of Jesus. Because remember, who is the building that's being built here? We are. The people of God is the building. And so Paul's saying, listen, we have to be careful how we build, and we can choose what we build with. We can choose to build with gold and silver and precious stones. In other words, we can build with love, we can build with truth, we can build with goodness, we can build with encouragement, we can build with, build with service, or we can choose to build with wood, hay, and straw, with legalism, and with jealousy, and manipulation, or with fear. But one day, Paul says, no matter how you build, one day, how you build will be judged by the one who sees all. And the outcome of that will either be reward or it will be loss. So take care how you build, because it matters. And at the end of the day, we're all accountable. All right, finally, finally Paul gives us one final reason why community matters to God. And he, he kind of carries on the same thought here, but let's read verses 16 and 17. He says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? And if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. So, so why does God's community matter so much? Because we are his dwelling place. You know, under the gold, old covenant, where did God choose to dwell? He chose to dwell at one singular geographic point on the planet, which was in Jerusalem, which was at the temple. That's where his presence was. But under the new covenant, because of the completed work of Jesus, his death, his resurrection, his glorification, the Holy Spirit descended, and where does the Holy Spirit now live? He, the Holy Spirit now lives and dwells in followers of Jesus. He lives and dwells inside of us. We are the new temple that God inhabits. It's mind-blowing that God, the creator of all things, should choose to live inside of me and live inside of you. Now, I just need to point out, though, that Paul once again uses the plural form of the pronoun you here, okay? In other words, he's not talking about you as an individual being the temple of the Holy Spirit. He's saying you all are God's temple together 
in community. Now, it doesn't mean he doesn't mean that we are individuals. I mean, you go to, you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 a little bit later on, and it is, uh, he's talking to individuals there. He's saying that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's true. God does live inside each and, all of, each and every one of us. But God also inhabits his people as one great, big, glorious, holy temple. So the community of God's people is sacred. It is holy because God has made it holy and has chosen to dwell there through his Holy Spirit. And so this is why Christ's church, his community, his people matters so much to him. And this is why we as his people are called to build it with care and concern. And I hope we do that. And so the question then is, how do we do that? How do we build community together? Well, there's so much that we could talk about there, and, and um, we're not going to dive in, but what I want to do is I want to just point you towards your sermon notes this week. And in the sermon notes, I suggest four practical exercises that you might consider doing this week, at least one of them, that could lead towards building the community of faith. So I'm just going to walk through those really quickly this morning. Here's the first one. Practice living a one another every day this week. What are the one another's? Well, the one another's are these commandments that you find in the New Testament that God gives to his people that they should put into practice so that it builds up the body of Christ. The thing about a one another is you cannot do a one another in isolation. They are not private. They are public. You need another to one another. Okay, so some examples, be devoted to one another, accept one another, care for one another, bear the burdens of one another, forgive one another, encourage one another, confess your sins, spur one another on, pray for one another. So what I want to encourage you to do this week is say, I'm going to choose one of those. And every single day, I'm going to put that one thing into practice. I'm going to try it every single day this week just to do that one another thing. Maybe it's encouraging one another and you're just going to be bent on encouraging people all week. But I want you to do this in community. So tell somebody you're going to do it. And then at the end of the week, get them to follow up with you about it and share what happened in your experience. Practice living in one another. Here's the second one. Hear somebody's story. What if this week you talked to somebody and, says, and, and invited them to share their faith story with you? And, and one of the ways you could frame it, you could say, uh, when did God first become real to you? Just ask them that question. Someone who's maybe you're not very familiar with, maybe someone who's new in relationship with, but you will be surprised and you might be even be shocked about the amazing story that lives behind the skin of this other person. And so one of the best ways to build up community is just to share each other's stories and to celebrate what God has done in each other's lives. So give that a shot. Of course, do it in a very COVID-friendly type of way. Um, so it might mean phoning somebody or Zooming somebody or sitting distance from somebody. I don't know, uh, but I encourage you to do that. Here's another thing you can do. Number three, practice hospitality with strangers or mere acquaintances. So I'm, I'm not talking about your, your BFFs or your homeboys or whatever, members of the gang, you know. I'm talking people who are strangers or acquaintances and just invite them and over to practice hospitality. Now, COVID, okay, I get that, right? So during COVID, you're going to have to get really creative about this and, and be health conscious. Let me encourage that. We support that. So maybe for you, it means having a socially distanced fire in your backyard. Karen and I have done that twice this week. We've had people over, just sat around the fire together and talked and shared. It was awesome. Uh, maybe for you, it means that you're going to have a Zoom meal together. So set a time for your Zoom meal, 
order, skip the dishes. You pay for the skip the dishes, send it to someone else's house. They pay for it, send it to your house. You sit down and you have a meal together. I don't know. Uh, there's lots of ways you can do this. I encourage you to get creative, but practice hospitality, but do it with strangers and acquaintances. Finally, join a home group. If you're not part of a home group, we encourage you to do that. At Crosspoint, we understand and we know that in a church of our size, uh, it is really difficult to build community with people, particularly on a Sunday morning. We're all kind of staring together at the same direction, and we're in and out of the building really quickly. It's really hard to build the kind of community that Jesus wants us to build. That's why we have set up our community based on home groups. A home group is a place where you can go and study the Bible together, pray together, learn each other's stories, uh, get to know each other on a much deeper level, be there for each other, live life together, laugh and learn together. So we encourage people to participate and get involved in home groups as a means of building community. If you want information about home groups, I encourage you to join us, uh, to email Micah, micah at thecrosspointchurch.ca, and he would love to get back to you about that, um, or you can just talk to somebody if you're in the house this morning, talk to one of our team, and they will point you in the right direction. Okay, Crosspoint. Community matters to God. How we build community matters to God. How you build community is a mark of your maturity. Let's build well. Let's do it together. Let me pray. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you show us the way. And Lord, you give us something to aspire towards, something to point towards. You're like a, a signpost in the mist showing us how to live community. And God, we pray that we would be able to do that. God, I, I pray for those who maybe are in need of community right now, desperately. I pray that you would open pathways for them to find it. God, I pray for those who are in communities right now. I pray their communities would run deep. Deep with Jesus as the foundation and the Holy Spirit living through it. God, I pray against division and against petty things that could really tear down the community that you love so dearly. I pray that we would be a people who are going in the same direction, who are living together in humility towards one another, and who will love you and want to serve you as disciples of Jesus. God, thank you for the gift of community and help us to live it out just as you do. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton, and you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.